Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi everyone, my name is Chris Sands, I'm your host, and today we are joined via phone, one of the co-founders of Stone Brewing, Greg Cook. Thank you for joining us, Greg. Hey Chris, it's great to be here. Well, of course I'm here, I'm not there. But wherever there is, where is there? We, uh, we're in Frederick, we're Maryland. Home. Frederick, Maryland, at home. We're, it's where we all are at home. Yeah, we're actually. I'm in. I'm in our studio. I've still uh, been coming into the office a couple of days a week because there's hardly anyone else here, so it's it's safe. Right, right. Um, I, I assume you're out in California. Uh, I'm at home. Yeah. It's, it's like like most people. <laughs> I, what is, what's it like out in California now? Is it, is there still like a stay-at-home order, or has California started to open up? Um, actually, today we started to open up just a bit. Um, we have uh, the ability to go back to some uh, kinds of stores. You certainly have the ability now to go to, to the, the, the beaches and on trails and things like that. Um, I haven't read it all through it all, but uh, yeah, it's it's, you know. We're getting there, but I was talking with my team. We have a morning call every morning with my executive team, and it seems to be that it's maybe months away before we'll be sort of returning into the office per normal. Yeah, it's kind of how everyone out here is still planning for it too. All right, so let's um, let's get into happier topics. Um, I think. Uh, the history of how you know what can I can, well, can, can I can I just jump in here real yeah quick absolutely and, and actually uh you know I was just listening I, I went for my morning run uh and I was listening to one of my favorite authors and he has a few podcasts posted uh like only five or six of these posted so far and uh his name is Mark Manson he wrote the the book uh the subtle art of uh, not giving a fuck um which is a great book and then his follow-up book was um everything is fucked a book about hope. And, I, think uh, I have both of those. I haven't read them yet, though. Oh, they're great. I, I really like his approach. He's he's sort of a he, he basically takes you know the old philosophers uh, and psychology both and puts it into language that we can understand. They were not just that we can understand, but relate to. And uh, he has a podcast that he, he uh, posted on April fifth. Uh, it's entitled Coronavirus, Surviving the Oncoming Mental Health Crisis. Now, actually, I think he overdid the title a bit because it's a it's a podcast that everybody can uh, benefit from, even if you're not on the edge of a mental health crisis. But if you are, you know, then it's maybe going to be helpful in entirely uh, additional ways. But I highly recommend it, Mark Manson, and I'm passing it along to everybody I know. Um, regardless of why it's not a, you know, a suggestion of what I think of their mental health conditions. It's just, it's got good shit in it. I'll, so I'll, I recommend it. I'll definitely check that out. I'll probably share that out too. Cause I think, think we're get this is, this is getting to the point where I think a lot of people are getting, getting there or are tiptoeing towards, um, needing help. Yeah. And and frankly, I don't think I'm personally one of those, but I got a shit ton out of this this uh, this podcast, anyways. Uh, and it's just good reminders, you know. Uh, yeah, we all have our better days and our not as good days, and it's uh, stuff that'll help those not as good days be just a little bit better. So it depends, doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. Yeah. Well, thank you for that uh, recommendation. I'll definitely check that out, and I'll mm-hmm. I'll share a link out to everyone. Um, so Fantastic. I've I've seen. Um, well, actually, a couple documentaries now, and a couple talks you've done where you give the history of Stone of wh- where it started and how it began. But I don't think I've ever heard where the name Stone came from. Like, why did you choose Stone uh, Brewing? Yeah. So, so that, and we may have uh, mentioned it in our book, um, uh, uh, the Stone Brewing book that we published a few years ago. Not that I would expect people to you know, memorize. <laughs> Um, I actually, fact, I, I have, have, it I I have said, a copy I of that, that too. In there. I also have not read. Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, you didn't have to add the last part. <laughs> but, uh, 
Well, I, hey, I, have, uh, I unfortunately so, have a stack of books that I have not gotten around to reading yet. Oh, that's okay. We only published like eight years ago. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but anyway, the, the answer to your question is that uh, in 1995, during a planning session, um, Steve and I were, you know, working on a computer and then doing our modeling of, uh, you know, how much beer to make and what we thought we could sell it for and what the rent, you know, doing the whole financial thing, just trying to plan and, and figure out, could, could we do this, this brewery thing? And uh, we had been for a couple of years, uh, ever since we first talked about, uh, hey, maybe we should start a brewery together, uh, we had been bandying about potential names. And it was always the same scenario. I'd say a name or he'd say a name. And really, fairly quickly, the other person would go, eh, I don't know. I don't, yeah, no. And uh, we, we just couldn't come up with a name that, that also inspired the other person. Um, and so during this meeting, uh, I happened to literally just see the word stone written on something. And I said, hey, Steve, how about stone brewing? So it's just and kind he of didn't a, say no right away. <laughs> so one by default. Or I guess uh, not by default, well, yeah, by, I mean, by la like lack that, of objection. Yeah. <laughs> well, the lack of objection with, with sort of this, you know, the dynamic that Steve and I have. Um, and as anybody, you know, people, you know, couple or business partner or anything else that work together, you often you don't get that uh, exuberant side always. Uh, the lack of objection can actually mean pretty significant approval. So the did the use of um, did you already plan on using the the logos of the gargoyle and things before you came up with the stone name, or did you come up with the name first and then it evolved into what your personality and like your, the image that you put out is? It, it was the latter. So as we started represent, you know, thinking about, okay, how do we represent stone brewing? And I started working with artists. I literally put up a flyer at the local community college uh, uh, near their art department or wherever on bulletin board saying, you know, looking for an artist because we couldn't, we couldn't afford a professional one. In fact, we, I also interviewed some fairly professional artists and they were just beyond our affordability scale. Uh, and I started getting, you know, things back with the word stone and like a big boulder and that was it and i'm like oh that's cool but it's a little bit static you know just a little bit mm, doesn't really tell you anything and then uh, i hit on the idea of a gargoyle because uh, gargoyles you know traditionally carved from stone um they were a traditional european motif and believe it or not uh, as we were in our very early days of conceptualizing of stone uh, we thought that we were probably going to be making more traditional European-style beers. Um, of course, that quickly morphed into more of just our own style, um, which is a good thing, I think. But, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and so, you know, and they're, they're sort of this timeless figure uh, that wards off uh, evil spirits. So it was a good way to project to people, hey, you should expect something different. And yes, I know it looks like a scary character, but the scary characters, you know, it's, it's fighting for the forces of good. And here's what it represents in our philosophy of, you know, no cheap ingredients and no additives and preservatives and things like that, which were quite common in brewing. Not so much in craft brewing, of course, but people didn't understand craft brewing back then. Yes, uh, <clears throat> so that's how it all morphed. So it's a, in 1996, not only was... Um, the beer revolutionary, but the, I would think like that, um, that imagery and everything for in the beer industry would also be the same where it's just way outside of the norm. Yes, it was outside of the norm. Well, we, we quickly got known for doing things that were pretty far outside of the norm. Um, and I thought about that from the perspective, you know, I was a huge beer geek. Um, and had been. That's, that was the impetus for starting Stone. And, and Steve was a, a huge home brewing enthusiast. Um, and so it came from a very natural, you know, passion based place for the both of us. Um, and as I visited uh, small breweries and brew pubs, as I always did, 
um, uh, I would always talk with a brewmaster. And the brewmaster, it was a very common script, not that they were trying to run off of any script, but it was like, okay, uh, you know, imagine that I'm visiting a small brewery. I've talked to the brewmaster. Uh, he can tell that I'm a genuine beer geek and really interested, and they're kind of interested in talking to me because they like people who are really into what they're doing because that's why they're there primarily. And uh, so line up the little tasters of the, of the beers, and it would usually be, uh, okay, this is our golden. I have to do the owner makes me do that one. This is our uh, Irish dry stout. Yeah, you know, it, it's good. I like it, but it's we kind of do it because we have to because people want that style. Here's our amber lager. And, and each one of the, at least the first half of the lineup, would be semi-apologetic. I do these because I have to, not because I'm really into that particular beer. But we need to make some friendly beers for you know, the customers who are newbies. And then um, it would always be the one or two that they were excited about. Oh, here's a special limited release. I'm really excited about this. And I did these hops and I took, used this method and, and uh, you know, get the aromas. And, and that's where they would perk up. So I just had this thought, like, okay, how about if it's stone, we just decided to only do the ones that we were personally into. What would that look like? What if we didn't do any, quote unquote, because we had to? Uh, and that's how we started out. What, what was your original lineup? So Stone Pale Ale was our very first one. And, uh, you know, admittedly, it bridged the gap a little bit, right? You know, it was uh, 5.4%, uh, nice, deep, uh, amber copper, copper color. Um, it was uh, 54 IBUs, so significantly bitter, uh, especially for the time. <laughs> and, uh, uh, excuse me, it was uh, 45 IBUs and 5.4% ABV. I, I just transposed the numbers there. Uh, but still, that was, you know, that was pretty reasonable for the time, uh, 45 IBUs for a pale ale. And uh, then our second beer was Stone Smoked Porter, 5.9%. Uh, um, and then our third beer was Stone IPA. Fourth beer, Arrogant Bastard Ale, which came out a year. So Stone IPA, first anniversary, and Arrogant Bastard Ale came out uh, in a year and four months into it, November 1st, 1997. Can I put so, in a quick uh, you know, request? Can you make Lucky yeah. Bastard again? Oh, I know. I love that, that beer. That was such a good I beer. I so desperately love that beer. Yeah. Well, I feel the, like you might know someone problem. that could make that be made again. <laughs> I, I don't because oh. <laughs> we do things in a larger team now, and I don't get to do everything that I want the way that I want. Damn it. It's so unfair. It's called teamwork. <laughs> it, it is. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I didn't say back in 1996, well, I'm going to start this so that I can make team decisions and not always get away. I want to get, get my way in 2020. <laughs> but actually, it's a great model because we have such a great team. So, yeah. Set um, my ego aside. Not just my ego. Actually, it's not really my ego. Just set my desires, my personal desires aside. And, go with the team and you know i get my way some of the time i just have to convince yeah unfortunately i never was able to get much of lucky bastard because it was back when in maryland um like you i had the stock uh beer stores to be able to find the different stone beers that i wanted to try uh it because they it it would sell out almost instantly anytime because all the allotments were really small. So. Yeah. I, I really love that beer. It, it, the thing about the beer and one of the reasons we, we don't make it anymore, uh, two things. One, people didn't understand it. You know, that's, that's always a challenge. You can bring forth your very best and your very, very favorites. But if the consumers don't really understand it and gravitate towards it in a way that, um, uh, sort of you can make a business model or a business case for that beer, then it becomes a one-off or a special limited release. And, and that's it because otherwise it just can get stuck beyond store shelves. You know, as much as I like our, our go it our own way kind of a philosophy, you can't do it so much that you ignore the, the functional realities of the marketplace. Yeah. You, you still are a business that needs to make money and have a lot of employees that depend on you. 
Right. And you can't just be, be uh, brewing beers that are intended for sitting on store shelves, not selling. Because yeah. <laughs> then at some point they say, you know, we don't really want any more. Right, um, we're going to take a real quick break to thank our sponsors. Um, when we get back, I want to ask you about Steve's beer that got him into craft beer because I know what yours is. So we'll be right back. You may have noticed something a little different in the Roast House Pub parking lot. They are now offering beer and food to go from their food truck. The food truck will be open starting April 3rd from 4.30 until 7.30. On Saturdays, they will open for lunch from 11.30 until 2.30 and then for dinner from 4.30 until 7.30. On Sundays, they will be open for lunch from 11.30 to 2.30 and then for dinner from 4.30 until 7. As you are aware, things are constantly changing, so make sure to check out RoastHousePub.com and their social media channels for up-to-date information and menus. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of India Pale Ales, delicious fruited sours, robust porters and stouts, and crispy pilsers and lagers, Idiom Brewing Company prides themselves on continuing to innovate, utilizing new and or experimental hops, local ingredients, and unique flavor, flavor profiles. Unfortunately, you can't enjoy their tap room, which is located along beautiful Carroll Creek in downtown Frederick. Thankfully, you can enjoy their delicious beer to go and even have it delivered throughout the Frederick area. You can check out their menu options and place your order at idiombrewing.com. Make sure to follow them on social media for up-to-date options and hours during these ever-changing times. All right, so I've heard um, a couple times a story of how Anchor Steam is what got you into craft beer. What was Steve's first beer? I should know this. Hold on while I text him. Okay. I, I'm not 100% certain. I'm not 100% certain that I know this. So Steve is um, uh, six or eight years older than I am. I always forget. Um, not that it really matters, but but, you know, uh, he came into beer drinking and has formed in the beer drinking years, you know, a little bit sooner than mine. I think maybe he had some, a chance to have some Valentine, although I that still may he may have missed that window on a functional level. I don't know. I should know that. I fully expected. I fully expected you to tell me that I should have read the book by now, and I would know. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah. You should have. Uh, but that's implied. <laughs> it is autographed, though. <laughs> it it at least is an autograph copy. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually I've I've learned a thing with you know with authors. Uh, there's some authors that will go into a bookstore and uh, go to their section and open their books and one by one autograph every single one of them. And I when I first learned that I thought oh that's kind of cool they're giving you know little Easter eggs for people to find. And then I learned uh, well you know if uh, the the copies are autographed the bookstore cannot return them to the publisher. Uh, that becomes yeah. <laughs> well, my, mine so uh, was, your book uh, is not returnable. I'm sorry, we cannot accept a return on that. Well, mine mine it's was a present. Uh, my my um, brother in law just happened to be out in San Diego for a conference when you were having a book signing event. So he went and got me a copy and had it autographed for me. Okay. Well, it's, it's you know people aren't above returning presents that they've given. Good point. Good point. <laughs> Um, if I remember correctly, um, in beer wars, you, you talked about that in the beginning of stone, there were some touch and go times where it was, where you guys were really grinding and it, the outlook was looking grim. Um, when was there a point where you were able to sit back in like a aha moment where you're like, wow, we made it. Um, uh, without the sit back part, um, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't say it so definitively as that, um, we had, uh, it was more the uh, moment where we're like, okay, now it seems possible that we might actually survive. Okay. But we haven't had quite the aha. I, I know a lot of people look from the outside and they think, oh, you know, stone, it's, you know, big and powerful, and those guys are printing money and everything like that. And like, you know, and not just in the now times, which of course is challenging for everybody, almost no matter what, unless you're in conference, uh, you know, video conferencing or or medical equipment. 
Um, and uh, it's you know we we are still we have to fight every day. So we're not we're not there. There's been months or or maybe even a couple of years from the late 2010s. Uh, excuse me, the late 2000s, uh, where it felt like we were able to kind of just we felt pretty full of ourselves in a manner of speaking. Um, but no, we still have to fight it, man. It, this industry is hard because every time you think you got it, something new is thrown up. You know, there's, there's somebody new nipping at your heels. Um, <clears throat> just like uh, James Hetfield said, you know, uh, like a quote from him says, uh, you know, everybody needs uh, somebody to uh, look up to uh, or to uh, challenge and and, uh, and, uh, and chase after. So I, I'm glad you brought him up because this actually will lead me right into something I watched yesterday. So I'd spent some time trying to find other interviews with you, which are surprisingly few of them. Um, but I did find in 2015 the tech open air talk that you gave. Um, oh yeah. In, in Berlin. Yes. Yeah. So in that talk, you, you mentioned, I think a couple times that stone has never made a Pilsner. And then you also talk about nothing close to a hell's, um, and then list a couple other s- styles. Um, and then you talk about how stone makes beer that you want to drink. You don't care if other people like the beer. And then you segue into um, that your favorite band, Metallica, doesn't care at all if you like their music. They like their music. So was that foreshadowing for Enter Sandman Pills? Or how, how did uh, you go from never making a Pills to making one with Metallica? Yeah, so... I, I, you know, one, I, I think I, I need to sort of correct the quote just a little bit. Um, have I still got you? Yeah, sorry. I was I was taking okay, a drink sorry. of I, I, some uh, Buena, Buena Visa salt and lime lager. Oh, the Buena Visa. Yeah, yeah the Buena, Buena Visa. Visa. Yeah, I just think Cerveza and then, then Buena Visa. Um, yeah, so the thing is... Uh, you you accidentally but understandably misquoted slightly, but I want to give the fine point here. Okay. Um, I didn't say that Metallica or that Stone doesn't care if you like what we do or not. Uh, I think that's actually not true. I know that at Stone we we care so much. Um, you know, I could be accused of being diff, uh, guilty of over caring. Um, but the the thing is, and, and I can tell you, uh, having been on tour with Metallica and seeing how they interact with fans, they care passionately about their fans. They give their fans so much. But here's where the distinction is. What Like Metallica, like Snow, what we don't do is we don't change who we are to try and go after people who are not fans of what we do. That's the modifying. So yeah. another way to put it is it's up to us to decide what to do at Stone. And it's up to everybody else to decide for themselves if they like it or not. If they don't like it, that's okay. Right? It, you know, and sometimes it's weird, but consumers, you know, sometimes people can react negatively. Like, I don't like your beer. I'm like, well, that's okay. I'm sure out of the, what, many tens of thousands of beers on the, on the planet, um, there's going to be at least thousands that you don't like either. Uh, are you angry about all of them too? You don't have to be angry. It's co- totally cool not to <laughs> like our beer. I'm not angry about it. Um, although I'm wondering why you're, you're, you're coming at me with that. <laughs> but if you do like our beer, that's fantastic. I love it. I'm like, oh, cool. This thing that I love so much, you love it too. That's really nice to meet you. Um, you know, people would often misinterpret, you know, uh, oh, Stone, that's a company that, uh, that is uh, makes fun of their customers or taunts their customers, you know, thinking about the uh, arrogant bastard ale and the way that we wrote the label. I like, like the label. no, you don't understand <laughs> at all. Uh, it's, it's, uh, we don't taunt, taunt our customers. We taunt people who aren't our customers. The people who don't like our, our beer are the ones that we're taunting. The ones that, that, uh, uh, who do like our beer, they're amongst the worthy. It, it's, uh, self, self-identified not for us to say 
It's for everybody else to decide for themselves. So, um, yeah, that was a much better way of yeah, saying it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's nuanced though. Yeah. And I get it, you know, and I've been, uh, you know, I've read articles and seen comments from people, uh, you know, uh, who, who misinterpret towards the other direction. And I get it. I mean, we live in a world that's very complex and you can't actually sometimes pay attention to what somebody's actually trying to say. Yeah. And you could. <laughs> but uh, but you got it. You just misquoted it slightly by accident. But yes. Um, so so you're asking about the the pilsner. So we make the Ananite pilsner with Metallica, um, and uh, it was many years ago that uh, it was Victory and their Prima pills that taught me, hey, this pill style it can be done in a way that I really like. Um, cause I think the premium pills is just a fanatic, uh, fantastic beer. Um, and the bottom line, there's just about any beer style that you can make on the planet that you can do with a, um, industrialized mentality aimed at the lowest common denominator, or you can do it in a way that, um, you, you work to try and elevate the style and make it fucking awesome. Um, you're, you've got one in your hand right now that I think is in that category. It's a style that if you had told me in the earlier days of stone that we'd be making, I would have told you that we were, you know, fucking sellouts or something else like that. I would, I would have been really negative about it (laughs) until you put it in my hand. I'm like, Oh, okay. Actually, no, this is wow. I didn't have a vision for that. That's pretty good. And that's exactly what happened with the point of Asa. Our, it's a you know, really Baja good beer. inspired salt and lime lager. Yeah, I love it. I had uh, a few um, two nights ago for Cinco de Mayo or three nights ago, and uh, uh, but I, I I enjoy it on a very regular basis. Um, and it, all the bottom line is, you know, even even me. Well, I don't think I for the last ten or even fifteen years have I had any attitude that I thought that I knew. Uh, a damn thing about the beer industry and what could or couldn't be done in the world of brewing. But for the first five years, 10 years, maybe I did. Right. You know, it's that typical knowledge curve. You're uh, a novice, you know, you're, you're entry level, right. You, you kind of know, you don't know anything. And then you learn a little bit and you start passing around stories like, Oh, Bach beer is uh, seasonal when they clean out the bottom of the tanks. And that's where they get the Bach beer from. And you start repeating all this total nonsense that gets circulated around, uh, you know, without any verification. And then you realize, oh, shit, that thing that I was saying about uh, ocean voyages and, uh, you know, sending beer to the, the troops in India is the history of IPA isn't quite correct. Um, as I learned when Mitch Steele, our you know, former head brewer, wrote a book about it and did tons of historical research and completely debunked that whole thing that I had repeated for many years, just like so many people. So then you get to the point where you think, okay, I've learned this and I've learned this and I've learned that. Now I know. And again, human knowledge, that's very common. And then... Like anybody who's a PhD in anything or a professor in anything, I was really educated, written books on the subject. And you ask them about, hey, are you, do you know everything there is to know about your subject? And they're like, oh, no, absolutely not. I'm just learning. I used to think I did. And now I know that there's so much I don't know. And that's the phase that I've been in for the last 10 or 15 years. Like, I don't know shit. <laughs> I've got some knowledge base, right? You know, I've, I've built up something, but in the grand scheme of things, nah, nah. I, I, I get schooled all the time, and that's awesome because then I, that means I'm learning something new. So how how did the Metallica collaboration come up about? Was it did they approach you or did you approach them? I wish that I could say that it was us that approached them, and I I say that only because. I mean, how cool would that be, you know, to look in the mirror and go, dude, you just called up Metallica and you said we should make a beer. And then they said, yes, <laughs> but I can't say that. So it turned out, um, 
they actually contacted us. They had been thinking about doing a beer. And uh, sort of their proverbial, their people called our people because the name Stone kept on uh, popping up as they were doing their research. And uh, so at first when I got, when I heard about it from our team, because the call wasn't, the very first call wasn't made to me. I don't even know who the company, you know, received it but, or it was an email or whatever. But I was like, yeah, I don't know. And by the way, Metallica, one of my favorite bands ever, period. And I don't just say that because we have a collaboration. Uh, well, many Metallica shows. I can tell you stories about picking up their albums. Along yeah, the career there's a the, record of career. it from 2015 of you saying it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, no. Well, there's records of it from earlier yeah. than that too. Yeah, um, but uh, they they reached out, and uh, I was dismissive because I'm like, okay, cool, but why? And I was a little skeptical because I didn't know the band so well on a personal level and I didn't know their ethos as well. Um, and I just, I, I thought it was going to be some kind of a, just a, I don't know, a, a play in the beer. Like, you know, because we, I've, I've talked to, I've literally talked to other rock stars who have wanted to make beers. And, uh, uh, you know, I talked to a guys, one of my favorite guitar players just does such heavy, awesome work. And he was like, after I turned him down and turned him down, he got on the phone because this is management and called us. And uh, he's like, dude, dude, you got to make this beer for me, man. Dude, it's going to fucking rock. I'm like, this is so cool. I'm talking to this guy. And by the way, I can't tell you who he is, but just trust me that pretty up there. And I'm like, okay. Uh, all right. All right. What do you want? Why, why do you want to make a beer? What would it taste like? Are you going to come and help formulate it with us? You know, all this kind of thing. And he's like, Oh no, man. Uh, don't worry about it. Just, just do something, you know, that's easy drinking, man. I don't care. I don't care. We just got to do this label, man. That's like, okay, that's it. Nope. I'm interested. We don't do that. And I will give you some free advice up to you to take it. But I suggest you don't have another brewery do that for you either. The beer industry isn't just a plug and play thing. And, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta come at it with passion. You gotta come up with a point of view. And if you're just slapping your name on a label, chances are, it's not going to work. It's not going to be received well. Never, yeah. And just like what, because, you know, there's, there's no there there, right? There's got to be a why. And so that's what I started talking with. You know, we started talking with the Metallica team and it kind of culminated when I, I was in Europe and uh, Lars was in Denmark and we, uh, I, I flew up from Berlin with the, you know, I don't know, all of an hour flight or hour and 20 minute flight up to, to, Copenhagen and went and uh, we had lunch. We had an, uh, an hour lunch scheduled. I literally arrived at the place like three minutes before him and I was expecting some kind of entourage, uh, some, some people. And uh, I was sat, oh yes, we're expecting you. Uh, I was sat at a table, it was a two top. And I'm like, well, really? Yeah, yeah, sure. Roll in, rolls Lars on a, a cranky old bicycle. <laughs> it wasn't some nice thing. It was just this clunky old bicycle. But, you know, in Amsterdam, or excuse me, not Amsterdam, but in Copenhagen, actually in Amsterdam also, um, which is super bike friendly. Uh, you know, that, that it all just, it all is fine. And the people don't worry about it. And uh, he rolls up and uh, we sit down. And uh, two and a half hours later, uh, we, we were like, yeah, this is, this is cool. That's awesome. Um, all right, we're going to take uh, one more quick sponsor break. And we'll, when we come back, I want to talk about the origins of another collaboration you did with celebrities, uh, Woot Stout. So we'll be right back. District East now offers curbside pickup and a personal shopper service to pick your favorite beer and wine. They're instituting a policy of social distancing by bringing your order to your car. Their hours of operation will stay the same. This is their small way of trying to reduce gatherings of large groups of people while still delivering the service their customers have come to expect. You can view their inventory at www.districteast.beer. To place orders, you can call 240-651-0500, as well as calling and texting 240-367-4961 and 240-367-4149. 
You can stay up to date with their offerings on all of their social media channels. Fanny's Farmwoods Brewery may have to close their tap room, but you can still get their beer to go. They will be open for to-go beer sales of four packs and crowlers seven days a week from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. Please follow them on their social media channels for up-to-date information. At Vanish Beer on Instagram and at Vanish Brew on Facebook. All right, so how did Woot Stout come about? That was a fun one. So it actually, there's a pretty fair backstory to that. So for those that aren't familiar already, Woot Stout is a collaboration beer we make with our friend Will Wheaton. Um, and uh, uh, Drew Curtis of Fark fame, uh, Fark.com. And uh, so, so Will, uh, and for anybody that might not know Will, Will uh, was, uh, started off as a child actor. He was the lead character in the movie Stand By Me. And then, of course, he was on Star Trek The Next Generation. And then in his, his adult life, he's become known as sort of a, you know, a geek hero, I guess. I don't know what the proper terminology would be, but, you know, he's, he's a whip fucking just lightning fast brilliant witty guy so smart and um anyways he had reached out to me to stone in 2000 and said and just sent a blind email he's like oh by the way uh you know my old name's will and uh i uh discovered your beer drinking on amtrak and i just wanted to send you an email and tell you that i think it's really fucking awesome and i love your beer and my reaction at the time was like, oh, that's cool. Wait, will we, do I know the name? Uh, will we, wait, is it that guy? Ah, what do you know? That's kind of cool. Turned out it was that guy. And we uh, corresponded a little bit. And, and a weird thing of all weird thing, he ended up being um, shortly after our 1,000th email subscriber. Because remember when you had email subscription? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was your way to communicate with your fans. He, he happened to be our 1,000th email subscriber. Um, and uh, we became sort of, you know, casual friends. He would come down. We opened up our, our bistro a few years later. He would come down with his wife and his adopted kids um, and have dinner. And a couple of times uh, I would have dinner with him. And, yeah, we just, we just developed a nice relationship. Um he came down and did a book reading in our, in our gardens at the Stone Brewing Will Be Stone Gardens in Escondido. Uh, we had a, a short-lived series called The Book and a Beer Club. And he was our only author that we got to, to show up in person. And we had uh, 14 people show up for his reading. 14. <laughs> Today, he, we, we, I don't think we'd have enough. I mean, people would come in droves. Yeah, he would have it was when it was early on his reputation, you know, as he was shifting from, you know, uh, uh, an actor who had had some very notable roles, but had been doing, you know, less notable things in, in more recent years of his, of his acting career, as he shifted into being a writer and uh, being a blogger, a very, very active blogger. And just his way with words is fantastic. And, and he developed, you know, um, the, the second phase of his career. So it was, you know, earlier in that curve. So then he started homebrewing um, in the late 2000s. And, uh, and uh, he became very passionate uh, homebrewer into the early 2010s. And then we said, you know, I think I probably brought it up to him. I'm like, dude, you've been homebrewing for a while. I've got some of your beers. And, you know, you, you have a cool audience that's just really different. And, and like, well, why don't we do a, a collaboration? And he loved the idea. And at the time we were doing, always doing three-way collaborations, just kind of became a thing that we like to do. And it really always brings in an interesting element. Um, uh, you know, just you, you end up coming up with different beers in a collaboration than you would just by yourself or even within your own company and your own brewing team. And similarly, when you do a three-way collaboration, you come up with even, you know, different ideas than that. So, who knows exactly what would come out otherwise, but I know it's always fun. And so we uh, invited uh, Drew Curtis, who happened to be a mutual friend. I had met Drew at uh, the TED conferences a couple of times. I used to go to the, the, the main stage TED conferences. And uh, I met Drew, and he's just a really fun guy, super enthusiastic. 
and we uh, created the Woot Scout together. And then and there you go. And it's still would is it a yearly beer release or is it an occasional? It's a yearly release. Okay. So we release it. It's been the release has been timed historically to right around Comic Con um, in San Diego, the San Diego Comic Con, and we have uh, what we call a HopCon, which is a big um, you know geek fest at our Stone Brewing World Beastrom Gardens and Liberty Station, which is in urban San Diego, and uh, we have a big event. Um, but of course, we're not having that this year. Yeah, we. That's uh, I was talking to um a owner of a local brewery earlier today lamenting the fact that there probably are not going to be any festivals or events that take place this year all right right and you know what it's probably we we needed a reset button um not that by the way i'm not calling for this reset button i'm not happy about it i don't want (laughs) all all the language that we know right Uh, um but, but, you know, still the, the industry, uh, you know, the beer, beer fest needed a reset button. Um, there's just sometimes too many and people doing it for trying to make a buck. Um, and, you know, like it became anytime that something that like everybody gets into, sometimes it can you just it ends up derivative. I, I think there's a lot of people that agree with you on that. They once. um craft beer hit a certain level of popularity and um, instead of festivals being in place to support um, brewers associations and stuff and it started to become just a way for people to make a quick buck there's just uh, way too many of them right and if it feels awkward to even say it you know even as I'm saying it I'm like am I allowed to even say this all out loud am I, <laughs> I going to get you know trolled for it and uh, Greg Cook is such a jerk because he thinks that there should be less beer festivals and wants to take away people's choice and I'm kind of like oh whoa whoa, whoa. I, see I've had it seems I, like you know and I shouldn't be bothered by it I gotta read the book uh, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck <laughs> sometimes people say stuff like that and I'm like oh that's such a bummer because that's not where I'm coming from at all why why do you think that I think that why do you take the position I think I don't think that Instead of just letting it go and like, yeah, well, some people are just going to be, you know, want to be cranks. I've had, uh, I've had several um, brewery owners on that have lamented the same thing. And it, a lot of it stems from just the uh, amount of drain on resources from, for them, the having to staff so many every weekend and feeling like if they don't participate in them, then they are looked at as like, um, the outcasts who don't want to be involved with anything. Right. And that's actually, that's not a good thing when you're feeling pressure to do something that maybe really is ultimately derivative, but you're not certain you can't always tell. And, and I've, I've been to many beer fests and participated where I thought it was going to be all the pieces to, were putting put together properly and it was going to be awesome. And it's a little bit of a, bleh. and I've been to other, uh, beer fests where you're, you know, like, I don't know about this, but I guess I'll, eh, I don't think, and you turn out and they're like, Hey, that was awesome. It can be hard to, you know, anticipate stuff like that. So, um, today, uh, although people will be listening to this at earliest tomorrow, um, you're doing a live commentary on YouTube of beer Jesus. Um, how, uh, how was it making that movie? Cause it seems like the filmmaker was with you a lot. <laughs> well, it was over a three year period. Okay. Um, well actually three plus year period. Um, and Matt Sweetwood, the filmmaker, uh, he, uh, came by early on. He'd made a film called Beerland which I highly recommend. I think you can find it on um, Amazon Prime. And uh, it's a really fun look into some of the quirkier aspects of the German beer industry and some of the traditions that they have in small towns and things like that. It, you know, it, a lot of people think of German beer uh, and the German beer industry and German beer traditions as being one sort of centered around Oktoberfest-style stuff. 
but there's such a range of traditions and styles and approaches to, to German beer and, and traditions. And the Oktoberfest is just one of those, uh, but it's the big one and it's the Bavarian one, but there's a lot of German traditions. Like, you know, a lot of people misperceive because we, we went to, uh, you know, we, we set up our, our facility in Berlin and a lot of, uh, you know, people from the United States just imagine that you're um, sucking down, you know, wheat beers in, you know, those big half-liter mugs or Pilsner's a big half-liter mugs or one-liter mugs. And like, no, that's, that's, they don't do that in Berlin. That's a southern Germany. That's a Bavarian tradition. Sure, you can find some places that will do it, but just like you can find a Texas barbecue somewhere in San Diego or New York or, you know, Chicago. But really, the heart of Texas barbecue is in Texas. And the heart of this style or that style of uh, Bavarian style beer drinking and beer styles, that's in Bavaria. Uh, and they do other things in other parts of Germany. Now, I went off tangent a little bit. Sorry about that. But that's, I just found Matt's, uh, Matt Sweetwood's documentary, uh, Beerland, to be really illustrative of the, you know, the, the depth and range of the German beer industry um, and its quirkiness. But he'd done that. And so he'd done that already. And a friend of a friend uh, had introduced him to us. And he said, look, I'd like to you know, do some filming and come by and keep up with your progress. And uh, my attitude was, I'd love to document this. I, I think it's really cool. I think we've got something interesting going on. It'll be something interesting to go you know, look back on. And of course, I had no idea how it would you know, turn out. And that's you never do with a documentary. Um, Fortunately, I, I didn't end up uh, in jail, um, you know, accused of whatever the Tiger King guy is accused of. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah that's what I'm trying to draw. Now, yeah. I'm starting to say this. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to draw it. Yeah, there could definitely be a, um, a much worse unintended outcome. Right, right, right. Yeah, you know, the thing is, uh, the reason why uh, uh, Tiger King is so popular is it's a fucking train wreck. That, that's and, putting uh, it lightly and uh yeah yeah exactly and while there's some tragedy and some pretty tough things and you know mine's a little less of a schadenfreude experience although there is some in the beer jesus film so the towards the end of it um you start lamenting um how the construction process and everything uh, was in Germany was, was the Berlin project, the, the hardest, um, slash worst, uh, construction project you've ever seen. Um, so what you're talking about is, is the entrepreneur's lament. And I think every entrepreneur that's pushed it, you know, really gone and done things that, that other people weren't doing. Uh, and that lament is, universal it's like does it really have to be this fucking hard really why does it seem like all these forces are constantly like i'm just waking up every day and i'm just nothing but pushing and pushing and pushing and feeling like i'm not even making any progress and uh you know that's just every every you know i've gone through it in every everything i've ever done construction has always been this hard the thing is it's what was unique about the Berlin project, it was never that bad. So it's always hard, right? You know, like uh, uh, on my morning run this morning, I had to remind myself, you know, it, it doesn't get any easier. You just get faster, right? Yeah. So with construction, you know, the projects don't get any easier, but hopefully you get better at managing them and you can manage them a little smoother. You can manage them a little, you know, better in budget-wise and things like that. But in, in this one, it was, yeah. It was incompetence. I mean, the whole German efficiency thing, complete and utter myth, complete and utter myth. And all of my German business friends will tell you the exact same thing. Bullshit. I found incompetence, laziness, and out and out shysters. Yeah, it definitely comes across towards the end of the film, the, the frustration level that you would hit. Yeah, we, we just, you know, we, we tied ourselves to a couple of 
unfortunately, unknowingly, and we went through the checks and we do all the stuff that we do whenever we work with contractors and such, but we ended up with some real bad actors. And then you end up, you know, deep into it. You can't always tell because, right, they can, they're good at hiding things for a while. Oh, until there was that one scene, you know, it, it, we were waiting on um, the construction of a mezzanine. And there were so many other things that were depending on that. You know, it had to go in order. You had to do this, and then you can do these other things. And so there was a lot waiting on this. And it had been delay and delay and delay. And they said, oh, we don't have the metal, you know, the girders and all this cut and ready to bring on the site and then assemble um, because of delays of the people that we're getting our supply from. And they're like, okay, when will you have it? Um, we'll, have, uh, we'll have it on Tuesday. Okay. So on Tuesday, I am going to come and inspect at your shop all this stuff. I want to see it, right? And this is our head contractor. This is uh, the, the guy that worked for Stone uh, mm-hmm. saying this. Uh, Sheriff Randy, we called him. He, we'd shipped him from the U.S. from uh, from to to as an emergency kind of plug. And so he went there, and they didn't have it. And they said, uh, "Oh, it'll actually it'll be another ten days." And he's like, "You told me you're either lying or you're incompetent. Which is it?" So, I'm guessing yeah. they never answered that question. Oh, I'm going to get, when I see that part of the, 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 the film tonight, I'm going to get frustrated and fucking curse all over again. <laughs> and I'm going to have a beer into me, a, a beer or two into me by the time we hit that part of it. So <laughs> I may really let loose. We'll see. It's just a face plant. The, Fuck. Um, <laughs> God damn it. I'm just going through this all again. I'm sorry. I bro- <laughs> really? I mean, my feeling mode is not your fault. It's yeah. not your fault at all. It's just like so. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. So if if the if the construction um, and all of the delays and the extra expenses and everything, if if it wouldn't have been for the debacle of building the brewery, do you think the outcome would have been different, or were the other external? problems that you list at the end about um where you said that like in the u.s people will drive far to go to escondido because we have that culture and stone has that name recognition to bring people there um but in berlin there's not that culture and you're kind of starting from scratch um or do you so I guess, do you think the outcome would have been different without all the construction problems? I think it would have been uh, potentially better with, without all that um, in, in the delays. But the, the bottom line is I misjudged the complete apathy that Germans have for beer. What did I just say? Did I just say that out loud? You did. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. So, now, you know, you know, now somebody is always going to quote to me because, you know, there's beer enthusiasts that go make their beer, you know, uh, Mecca trips to Germany and they discover all the best of the German uh, beer market and beer industry. And they find people who are making awesome beers and passionate and engaged and all that. That it does exist, but it does not exist anywhere close to what we have here in the United States. And it doesn't exist amongst the populace. The populace buys. You know, I say it this way, an average German will argue passionately on behalf of their local brewery and extol its virtues and its flavors and defend it all day long, except when it comes to the buying patterns. And then they go to the the drink market, that's what they call them, the Getränke Mark, and they'll buy the cheapest beer, the cheapest industrial beer. They won't care where it came from. They won't care whether it's owned by one of the big conglomerates. They won't care whether it used to be 35 IBUs uh, for that brand in 1975, and today they're bringing that same beer under the same label, but it's not the same. They've shortened it. They've uh, cheapened the ingredients, and they're brewing it at 23 IBUs. Probably they're brewing at 17 IBUs. Uh, It's been a boiling frog, so so, so, um, there are... You know, if somebody wants to take exception with my statements, they're taking exception for the 0.1% or the 1% of the market. But the 99% is people don't give a shit. 
Yeah. We, uh, I, I had the opportunity to interview a gentleman who owns a craft brewery in Bavaria. Um, and he talked a lot about the struggles of, and he's, he's from, um, right here in Maryland. So he was over here visiting family. Um, and he came on the show while he was in town. Um, and he talked about the, I can't remember what, I think he said like 10, 15 years that they're behind, like the education and the culture of craft beer in, um, in Germany and especially Bavaria is where the U S was 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. And and I can understand somebody, but the thing is that suggests a parallel universe or just a, a, a static timeline. And you just, if you start it now or you start it 20 years before or 20 years after, it would be the same timeline. But the thing is the German beer consumer has been told for their entire lives that there is one way to do something. And it's the German way, the German beer that they've been told. And if it's not that, then it doesn't qualify as beer. It's no good. It's no good and it doesn't qualify. I mean, it was so common. The the very first question, any average German would uh, tell them what I was doing over there. They would say, well, what about the Reinheitsgebot? And I'm like, well, what about it? Well, how can you, you can't, you can't brew beer. I'm like, um, I'm sorry. Uh, that's barley hops water yeast. Yeah, I think I can make beer with just barley hops water yeast. <laughs> That's not hard. It's you know they're like, but they've been told that every other country on the planet is incapable of making a beer with just those four ingredients. They're very and, and anybody that knows that you know the beginning thing about beer. I was talking about that beer knowledge curve earlier. That's that's when they're functionally repeating the equivalent of Bach beer is comes from spring cleaning the bottom of the barrels once a year. That's how you get Bach beer. That sort of you're just total nonsense. And that's what they repeat because that's what they've been told. And so when you're told that, you don't want to, you're like, I already know the answer. And in fact, there's an old, I think it was Seneca, you know, the Greek philosopher. Uh, I hope I'm not quoting who, who, the, which one said this or wrong, but you cannot teach a man what he thinks he already knows. Yeah, because uh, let's dig in. Um, one last question, because I think we're running up on um, uh, when you have to go. Are there? Sure. Is there any? But I want to, you know, I'm going to interject because I want to hear the last question. But I say, okay, you know, you know what's, uh, you know what the best countries in in Europe for beer are, in my opinion, and I there's so many examples of German beer that I love. So many and so many brewers that are friends of mine that make awesome beers. But the best country in Europe is not it's not Germany for beer. It's Italy, it's Sweden, it's Denmark, it's Belgium. You know, it, it, it's just because they are so certain that they already knew all the answers. They weren't interested in even looking at anything else. I've only ever had one Italian beer. Um, its name's Nora. And I, I bought. Oh yeah, it. from Baladin. Yeah, and yeah. I, I picked it up purely because uh, when my first daughter was born, we named her Nora, and I found that beer and bought a bottle of it to celebrate her birth. Yeah, they've got such a wonderful brewery to visit. Little town called Piozzo, and 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 then they built this old farmhouse, uh, this new brewery at this old farmhouse. Or it's a Tail Musso who's behind Baladin. Uh, and uh, Paulo Fontana and all these guys, they're personal friends of mine. I've done collaboration beers with them there a couple of times. I love that part of Northern Italy. Um, they make wonderful beers and uh, they weren't constrained by any tradition in Italy. They're just like, oh, we do things that taste good and they are free and creative and there's like a thousand breweries. There's now too many breweries in Italy for the same, you know, just like the beer festivals that gotten a little bit too many people, but our, my friends at Peter Fitzgerald Lambrate and, and um, Milan, man, they make such good beers. So are there any, are there any trends in craft beer that just drive you crazy? Um, I am not a fan. So, uh, I don't want to paint too uh, big of a paintbrush here on, uh, New England IPAs. 
But if you have uh, the New England IPAs that are have no bitterness at all, no functional bitterness, I can't. They're like, are you kidding me? Why? The, to me, they're the equivalent of what a, a, a flabby red wine, you know, flabby wine with no structure. It's just like it's juicy and very entry level. I don't know. That's that to me. But you get a New England IPA, and a lot of them have it, and a lot of the classic ones. You can give me a heady topper, for example. That's an easy one. Focal uh, bangers. You know, they have enough. some structure. That, uh, I actually do prefer focal banger a little bit, but I, you know, hey, you give me either one. I'm going to be a pretty happy guy. Um, but they, there's, there's, you know, real bitterness. There's real structure. There's backbone. So, so many of them have been, are, again, derivative and made for uh, consumer expectation rather than made for excellence, in my opinion. Not everybody is going to hold my opinion. It's fine. Just like I said earlier, it's okay if somebody doesn't like our beer, and it's okay if I don't like somebody else's beer. I don't like all of them. <laughs> and I think that's great. You shouldn't, because that means I'm going to be finding some that I love. But I like ones with some structure or backbone. Oh, yeah, it makes me think of uh, sort of the you know, boneless chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the you know the Gary the Gary Larson uh, cartoon the Far Side the yeah. Boneless Chicken Ranch yeah so, I, when I have a you know a New England IPA that's just got nothing going on other than some juiciness um, and a lot of haze they're like yeah that's kind of the equivalent of the Boneless Chicken Ranch so I'm guessing you also so, do I'm not, not like um, like super uh, heavily fruited sours. And I'll put sours in air quotes because they mainly just taste like fruit juice. Right, right. When it's just uh, uh, sweet fruit juice is added um, and uh, done just as a flavoring agent, just like they do with uh, the industrial Berliner Weisse in uh, Berlin with the addition of uh, you know uh, artificial flavoring, artificial color, and 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 sweeteners, um, and they pour that into the, yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> But you, you you put great fruit, great quality fruit in, and you ferment, and you actually you know you bring some artistry to it. They can be phenomenal. So my love those. My producer wants me to make sure that I tell you how much he loves I'm Peach, and he hopes that it'll be back again. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, it probably won't be for reasons, <laughs> but. Um, uh, maybe we'll just come and, you know, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll have a figure out a con- uh, counterpart to it. But I'm with you. I love the beer too. Okay. I actually, I lied. I do have one more quick question. Um, why did you change Ruination? I just felt like I wanted to be updated. You know, um, you keep, there's things that we know about brewing at Stone uh, today that we didn't know you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years earlier. Um, and Stone Ruination IPA came out June uh, of 2002. And it was the first full-time brewed and bottled West Coast-style double IPA on the planet, you know, which is weird to think about because there's so many now. Yeah. It was the very first one. Um, and uh, we felt that we could actually brew it better. And uh, I love the new recipe. Of course, I, yeah, of course, I'm fond of the old recipe. But we did do a rebrew of it for a mixed 12 pack, uh, maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago. And I side by side it. I'm like, yep, I love that old recipe. Like the new one better, just a little bit. And that's all it took. We just like just a little bit. But I like it incrementally better. We liked it, not just me. This was definitely a team decision. We liked it incrementally better either a little bit or a lot like okay better when do you ever get so good at something that you can't become better at it and then if you think you can do something better i think you should am, am i remembering so correctly we like it better and that's what we do am i remembering correctly that ruin 10 is what became ruination 2.0 or was that was it completely different or was it like a bridge uh, completely different. Okay. So Ruin 10 is a triple IPA. How oh, that's uh, right. A, you know, nod to the roots of, you know, to, to, it was, of course, came out on the 10th anniversary of Stone Ruination yeah. IPA. Uh, I prefer, um, 
the 2.0 also. Um, one of my friends who lives out near Doring, out near um, the brewery that I went to high school with that a lot of us staying in touch involves talking about stone beer. Uh, he prefers the old one, so he wanted me to ask you why uh, you changed it. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you have a preference. You know, We need things in this world that we uh, can uh, debate and argue about and be passionate about. As long as we're not jerks about it, it's a good thing. Yeah, I uh, personally like the new version. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think uh, I think we're up on time, so I don't want to hold you up any longer. I know you have probably yeah. have a lot more to do today, um, at least definitely to give commentary and swear a lot about Germans. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, no, no, I'm not swearing about Germany. <laughs> I'm swearing about some of the mentalities uh, yeah. that exist sometimes <laughs> in Germany. Yeah, but you find a microcosm that all over the world. of... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, by the way, if anybody can't make it because, well, or, or missed it by the time this podcast, you can watch the, the Beer Jesus from America uh, documentary film on Amazon Prime anytime you damn well please. And will will the um, live commentary on YouTube stay there or does it have to be taken down afterwards? It, we are doing a broadcast live. It, it will not be recorded. Okay. Well, we may record it for our own internal archives, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not uh it won't remain published uh, from that point. It's just a one-time live thing. Okay. Great. Uh, I want to thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I've been a fan of Stone Beer forever, um, and you uh, you are one of the breweries that got me into craft beer. Wow, super cool. Super, super cool. Thank you for that. So um, I want just say cheers and uh thank you for your time yeah i've enjoyed the convo thank you uncapped is brought to you with support from mcclintock distilling maryland's first and only organic certified distillery they are well known for their award-winning gin and are rapidly growing a name for themselves for their matchstick bourbon and bootjack rye whiskey that have both won double gold at international spirits competitions you can visit them in historic downtown Frederick along Carroll Creek for tours and tastings. Go to mcclintockdistilling.com for more information. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.